0: So I'm joined today on Stock Talk by a, a bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a hero of mine, and certainly a voice that many people will know. Uh, so podcasting, we're all learning how to podcast, but certainly we've got, I think, the the master of agricultural podcasting with us today is Michael Blanche. So Michael, how are you today?
1: I am awesome, Robert. Good. Good. Yeah, I just uh, I mean, especially after that introduction.
0: Well, I don't I know like it's all
1: you. lies, but just—I mean—keep on going.
0: Well, I can't. I don't. I <laughs> need to big you up. <laughs> um, so for, for those people who are still listening, <laughs> um, Michael, do you want to tell us just a wee bit about Michael Blanche? I'm sure a lot of people all have heard of you, but what, what do you do? What, what's Michael Blanche all about?
1: Oh gosh, that's a that's a big question. Um, what do you want to go? Deep psychologically, because that could get preferably messy.
0: Preferably not.
1: <laughs> well, I am. Um, I I am getting on a bit. I am fifty four years old now, but uh, I I suppose. How do I define myself? What's my identity, Robert? I don't know. I think um, I am a first generation farmer, who s- started off with. Uh, yeah, I suppose a balance transfer from his credit card. Uh, and so basically less than nothing. And I've still got most of that left, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, I suppose, in my early 30s, I was working for SEC, the greatest organization of all time. Yeah, yeah. And a, I was working there and there's a slight frustration to it all and I think since I was three years old I wanted to farm but since I was three years old I was kind of put off the idea because it is quite hard without any capital or land or you know just starting out from nothing from not very much you know that's it's a wee bit tricky so I suppose in my early 30s I want I decided that I was going to actually start having a few sheep and that was um that was a big step for me so then I became I came from being I was a land agent booth and then I was an SAC advisor and then I got some sheep and I was still an SAC advisor and then I left SAC Uh, and went on my own as a consultant with the idea that my consultancy would see me through as I built up numbers of sheep and we'd get a tenancy quite quickly and I would be a farmer full-time and uh, live happily ever after and so that that's basically and then of course you kind of I don't know how other people feel but during a career or during your life, you kind of meander and and find different things that interest you, things that you thought would be interesting but weren't, and things you didn't think would be interesting but were. So you you sort of meander and sort of like a pinball bounce off all these things, and you eventually end up we're at a place where we've got a tenancy, uh, we've taken on more land. Uh, we still haven't made enough to retire on uh, so we've got 12 11 12 seasons left to get that sorted but i suppose i am a farmer but it's always been a sort of a sort of inner fight with me because what is a farmer <laughs> and and How? What defines that? When do I know I've got there? You know, because when you start with nothing, when you start with, I start with fifty sheep, and so when do you stop becoming a consultant or whatever or someone else and actually become a farmer? And that's always been a little bit of uh, a question mark for me, but I think I am a farmer, definitely.
0: That's a long answer. It's an awesome answer, actually, and it kind of highlight something you know the best we have a a lot of colleagues who are doing something similar to me where we're farming and we're consulting and that way that identity of what are we I think it actually makes us better at both jobs you know I think it keeps us on our toes things at home have to be efficient because you need to get away yeah so you you have to focus on the things that are making money and not do the or do less of the stuff yeah, that we neat. want to, you know, it focuses you down. But equally, when we go to work, there's something that keeps us relevant. There's something at home that I think the worst consultancy message I can give someone is, I do this at home, so you should do this. But <laughs> an excellent message is, I tried that, it didn't work, but now I do this. You know, that there's, there's yes. conversations, and I, I think it's – Certainly, many really good colleagues of mine that don't farm and are probably better consultants than me. But equally, there are plenty of us now that are ma- managing to balance both, and I think are probably better for it. So, yeah. so that that kind of identity crisis, I don't think it, it's not a unique situation for you, and it's also something that's probably going to be more and more because there's more people heading off farm to, to you know, there's, there's there's a lot of money that lies. with the farm gate and you can have a simple system at home you know i I think we're over the next few years we're going to see an awful lot more people yeah struggling to keep all these plates in there
1: yeah absolutely it's funny you you did i I worked three days a week for three years for qms whilst (laughs) i was farming here and i think my performance of the farm improved (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: rather than me being there full time. And I don't know how that happened, but it's not necessarily time-related, your performance, I don't think. And you're dead right. You just have to, you, you do have to just, it focuses the mind if you're doing something else. But mm-hmm.
0: The work expands to fill the time available. Yes. however if there's not enough time uh, yeah things can be things can be tricky and there are pinch points i suppose our problem this is more me moaning rather than hosting a podcast but our problem is the busiest point in both of both parts of my life yes same two months in the year so that april may period march april may is wildly busy at work and is the busiest point at home so
1: yeah so how do you do that
0: sleep deprivation, coffee. Um, <laughs> I don't. I'm lucky at home, and we we're, we're dad's still there and thereabouts, and they, you know we've got a. We do have a system that kind of kind of works, but it's certainly where the the conflict is. If we could move, Ajax and other spring work, if you could move that into the autumn. Yes. Farming and consulting together would be pretty crazy oh,
1: but, uh, did you respond to the consultation of the new substance? you should have put that in did, did actually,
0: I'm actually pleased to say I did um, and you know it's a job we get handsomely rewarded for you know e- each of us that submits an IAX. you know the, yeah, the return basic payment is worth doing and yeah. as a company we, we make plenty of money out of that so it, it, it's a necessary evil but if we could just have that at a different time of year it would uh, it'd be good so so Michael, you mentioned here, as in your farm, and I know your farm is called Trucker Farm outside Forgandene, near Perth in Scotland. <laughs> I only know that from listening to the pasture Pod. And I think it's really quite exciting to have a need to put what country you're in. That's, that's That means you've made it big time. So that's <laughs> exciting. Uh, um, it's only with it, the
1: English people. <laughs>
0: um, so the PasturePod, what... For those that haven't heard it, so first of all, I would say if you haven't listened to the Pastor Pod, we'll put a link to the, the Pod in the show notes here um, because of some really, really good stuff. I probably, I don't know whether it's a good host or whether it's certainly a good list of speakers. Um, yeah. So, I think there's a lot I think it, it, you need both, though. You do need both. <laughs> it's, um, where did it come from? What is it and where did it come from?
1: Well, I mean... I'm nervous because I know people that have started listening to it and switched off almost immediately, because Is that the singing. Yes, I think yep. so. If you think sing your own theme tune and you can't really sing, <laughs> it's not a good start. So yeah, so I suppose the pasture pod. Um, I thought it's such. I, I think once once you get into this sort of knowledge transfer, knowledge exchange thing. I'm not sure if you get into if that's sort of a behaviour that you're sort of that becomes a pattern and you need to do it but in 2016 I had to plant loads of hedges on this farm uh, on my own and it was really dull and so I I, I found these things called podcasts and they didn't necessarily uh, well there weren't any agricultural ones that I had listened to And, uh, but when I was listening to them, I thought that actually you could, this is really a democratization of, you know, it's not a radio program, but it's, anyone can do these podcasts and you can throw it out into the internet and some people might listen. And, um, so I thought it was a really good idea. And then of course, uh, Will Evans, uh, started his rock and roll farming and Ben Eagle did uh, meet the farmers, I think, um, and so they kind of... So I they sort of gave me a confidence that maybe I could do it as well. So we, I, I just basically interviewed my friends. <laughs> <So> that's, <laughs> that's all I did. I, I sang... I, I did silly... I'm a silly person, I think. And I l- like to... um, I like to laugh. And I like to have fun. of What I think is fun. But I think... Uh, it was funny, um, I was speaking to someone at the Highland Show and we'd just got this extra piece of land and he's a neighbour and he said, "He, he said, uh, oh, you know, it's really good, well done, good for you. I mean, I, a lot of people that I speak to, you know, Michael might not be their cup of tea, but but I think you've done great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I, I, I do, I like to... Have a little humor is such a powerful thing when you try to communicate something. I feel and also keep listeners, keep people listening. If it's slightly weird, it's not a bad thing. And I've become, as I've grown older, I've more and more felt more comfortable about being weird and not everyone's cup of tea. So there's a, this little introduction that I do, and then we get on to interviewing my friends. <laughs> so, and it's much easier interviewing friends, I think, because you've all or you've all instantly got the rapport that you normally have. And so I interviewed John Scott, first of all, and uh, we have, a, a, a really have a great time with John and we have a, the right laugh, you know. So, so, and then I interviewed more friends, and um, but they also happen to be really good farmers, I think. And so... Uh, and I really like getting into the nitty-gritty of farming. I think, like, proper, <laughs> proper nausea sort of, like, detail, which I don't think you tend to get, apart from Stock Talk and Phil yeah. <laughs> of the Hill, but you don't tend yeah, to get yeah. that. You know, it's <laughs> – no, you sort of you, – you sort of um, – you know, it's, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was at a certain organisation – the whole message was keep it simple you know very broad brush no hardly any detail cuz it loses listeners and loses an audience but with a podcast i could do what i wanted and so some of these some of these episodes are well over 3 hours <laughs> but amazingly some people listen but that's the whole thing about farming i think it's a different uh, a different listenership because they're out doing work on the farm and actually sometimes the longer the better, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So I, I think I'm lucky that way because you can get away with longer ones when someone's in the tractor or someone's going around in the quad bike with the earphones on or something. So uh, that's basically, that is the gist. It's a, just a weird mix of a talking dog, theme tunes and some proper uh, really interesting farming chat
0: and some pretty talented kids too they should get
1: <laughs> out too <laughs> she's uh, well Callum's very good but uh, Keris who's the youngest one she does a little ditty on the normal podcast she was I think 13 when she did that she's now 18 and cringes every time <laughs> I, she hears it but
0: yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's awesome. So, w- with that, you know, let's nitty gritty. What we don't hear when we do in a pastor Pod podcast is we, you get bits of your system and we, we hear roughly what happens. But what is, I quite like when you ask in numbers. So, in numbers, what is Michael Blanch's farm?
1: <laughs> Did you hear when I asked? the huge farmer from Australia, that question. And he yes. wouldn't answer. He wouldn't answer. That's just pub talk. <laughs> but I mean, numbers is actually sadly very important to me. Not as that you know, because when, he's, when you're a first-generation farmer, that kind of defines how close you are to being a proper farmer. But So at the moment, at the moment, we will have, I think, 90 cows to calve. But that is not all mine. We might come to that. Uh, and there'll be 600 ewes to the top with hogs, which we don't put uh, to the top following that, following them. I did have 1,000 ewes. We're very sheep heavy here. Um, I did have a, up to 1,000 ewes with some cattle grazing from someone else uh, at one point, but I've seen the light and feel that a mixed system's probably the best way forward. Um, we're 500 acres here, half of which is sort of Green Hill, and half is actually, well, ranging from decent permanent pasture to a poorish... No, it's, no, it's not. It's, it's quite good permanent pasture to good permanent pasture. And I've got a reseeding program and the farm just below us. So, yeah, all grass really and some forage crop. And then we've taken... And then I look after 450 ewes next door and we've taken on another 550 acres of... A farm two farms away from that farm so uh, that's actually a big step that's but that is in conjunction with the person my neighbor who i contract the sheep for
0: it sounds like winding down towards retirement's not quite happening <laughs> yet. Ah, i was i
1: was <laughs> doing i was gonna do that robert and then i wasn't gonna wind down i just felt i just felt that actually you're and this is me talking to myself. Like, a, you know, all the voices in my head, and they said, you know, I was stop chasing numbers, stop having a number that you, you know, a number that you can tell someone else exactly the question you ask
0: mm-hmm. is
1: actually a, an interesting because that kind of drove me for a wee while. Well, well, if I've got a thousand Jews, then I can tell people I've got a thousand Jews, and that you know, I don't know why I thought it's. But numbers are quite important when I remember just this Christmas I was at a drinks party you know, as you do and the local uh, shepherd next door we got into a conversation and it rapidly became who's got more sheep competition mm-hmm. and I I, di- I really didn't like it at all and mm-hmm. um, I, I, I just don't like that kind of conversation but I'll have to get more sheep so I can beat him next drinks party. Then when I see him,
0: yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> well, well, change the question. Ask enough questions. Do you get to the point that you realise that your lamb losses are less, or your you know, we, we don't well, talk about right. money. No, <laughs> yeah, the, exactly.
1: You've got to find the KPI. That's, yeah, that find be the, find the
0: KPI goal. that fits you. Uh, your total carbon footprint, your total um, yeah. emissions from farming will be less than his because you don't have as much farming. Yeah,
1: I should, do, I should really that, do a carbon audit.
0: <laughs> yeah. you, you should say it.
1: <laughs> yes, oh God.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, the money part. And I think that's where probably your uh, PashaPod speakers, your friends are probably a bit more grown up, most of them, when it comes to actually what really matters. And it's the same for, regardless of what system, what what species we're running. It's what we're left with that's ma- that matters. You know, it's these.
1: Yeah.
0: It's the system that actually utilising your farm resources as best you can to leave you as much profit at the end of the at the end of the day and what so you're very very grass focused at home
1: yeah just on that Robert that's really interesting isn't it you've hit something there because you know your your net profit isn't isn't in the courier or you know the local paper Mm -hmm. in the Mart reports you know there's a sort of it's not skewed at all because, you know, you're interested in what the market, you know, what, what who's topping the market and stuff. But, yeah, that was just an aside. But, yeah, very grass-focused because when you, and, uh, you know, we, oh God, it sounds like uh, I've got the smallest violin ever, eh? But we didn't have very much money. <laughs> so So that actually changes. You know, I've come to realise that, everyone makes the right not the right or wrong decision based on their own circumstances. And I was speaking to an Irishman the other day and he, of course, came up with the age-old adage of when some, a tourist stops in Ireland and the Irishman says, well, I wouldn't start from here. You know, asking for directions. He said, I wouldn't start from here. But I, I think it's just starting point, isn't it? And my starting point, made absolute sense that I just go full bore and grass uh, because it grows out the ground whether you like it or not. It's it, what you uh, how you manage it dictates how much you can grow and what quality it is. And I couldn't I don't think I think East Coast Viners <laughs> I don't well I th- I I don't think I could afford to buy have a system with very high inputs and um, I actually quite like you know I quite like the simplicity of just doing it from grass because if if you have to take the feed to the stock and it's a it's almost um, a wee bit of a trope now isn't it? but if you take the feed to this the stock, it's adds complexity. It adds cost, and that's not what I want because we we are very you know, cat. I suppose we're looking at a you know a low cash business, so we don't have a huge tremendous cash flow. So we can't really we. I would prefer a system where we don't have to spend much money. And still get an output, and of course it's low input, low output. Uh, uh, it, we're not getting the output others have, but it just suits us from our starting point. So, um, yeah, and and I obviously love it's such a fascinating topic, grass, and and it took me a long time to realise its power, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I I think. Have you got time for a story, Robert? Always. (laughs) Well, when I did my Nuffield, I always talk about my Nuffield. It's a bit sad, really, but when I did my Nuffield, I went first to Australia, and you and I went around Australia, and there's sort of lots of you know, you know, when the answer is in plain sight and you can't see it, Mm -hmm. you know. So when I was going around and like there's lots of people making money, and they had grass right at the centre of it and then you go to New Zealand of course New Zealand um isn't like the UK is it but it is in some ways the principles stand and I went from the bottom of South Island all the way up to Auckland and every day I had a farm visit at least one farm visit and every day I was told about the power grass and it was and I I still didn't get it it still hadn't clicked (laughs) and a and it was the last day of the of of the visit, almost at Auckland, and I stopped at this share milkers uh, farm, and he showed me round all these little paddocks on his on his dairy block, and he he just spoke about grass like he was Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> and you know he had he sort of spoke with a, a deference about grass and grassland management and how you know all these facts he was he was just spitting facts all the time at me about what he does why he does it and because of his actions how he benefits and how he benefits significantly and you know one thing was in the Waikato where he was he as a dairy farmer that had paddock grazing was growing 18 tons of dry matter And a sheep farmer down the road in similar circumstances was set-stocking and growing nine tonnes of dry matter. And that is... And when you are a new entrant and with very little money and you try to make a go of it in farming, you know, just by management, you know, I, I, I am sure it's an exaggeration, but doubling the amount of dry matter, the grass that you can grow... And all these benefits in terms of quality, you know, it's, it's such, such a powerful thing. And I came away thinking, hang on. And it's again, it's an absolute exaggeration, but the principle is close to something, something tangible is that, you know, if you can double your production and half your costs, that is such a, you know, for a new entrant farmer, for a first-generation farmer, trying to make it, trying to get somewhere with his business, that is just such a prize. And even if you got halfway there, you know, that yeah. is that's so yeah. exciting. So it's, it's where you start from, Robert, It's what, <laughs> what I'm saying.
0: The one we hear quite often, you know, I suppose on actually on where you start from, in a lot of ways the, the first generation or, or Yeah, the first generation farmer has got the most challenges, but they've also got a clean slate. You know, you're Absolutely. starting with no no family tradition, you've not got a you know, your grandpa was the best Charlie breeder, he brought limmies into Absolutely. the country or all that stuff. You can do whatever you you can plough your own furrow. So Absolutely. I think we we flag it up as a thing where it's a, it's a negative and it's difficult and it definitely is. And hats off to anybody who gets into this industry because it's, it, it is tough, but also I think we need to doff caps to the guys that do make changes or, or, or are successful in established businesses as well. I, that's, think that's the har- we I actually that.
1: think that is the hardest thing, Robert. I think it's so, I can, I can do it very easily and it is, it was, it was a real realisation quite long ago that I'd much prefer to be a first generation farmer. You know, there's a freedom to being a first generation farmer, absolute freedom. And that's exciting. And it makes it, I'm not sure if it makes it more fun or not, but I think it's probably fun because you can just, you can just, you decide.
0: And the worst case scenario for you is you go bust and your neighbours will say, we told you it wouldn't work anyway.
1: Yeah, that would be unfortunate.
0: That would be unfortunate, but, you know, the, the expectation to there'll start... there a party,
1: be... there'll be a party over I guarantee you.
0: <laughs> and a cheap tenancy. Um, but no, it's, you know, the, I think probably as an industry we're, we're not very good. We've got, I think we've, we've got a crisis on the horizon when it comes to the next generation, who's going to take this on, who's going to be the farmer of the future, and We're really, really bad at telling people that farming's actually quite a good way. It's an excellent, I hate when people say it's a way of life. It's not about the money, but it's an outstanding way of life. You know, we are now, and I'm now in that position where we've got babies and things happening, and it's a a great place to bring kids up. It's a great, you know, there's so many positive stories, but we spend most of our time telling people it's rubbish and it's hard work and there's no money in it. And we, we see guys all the time who are in their 70s and 80s worrying about retirement because farming's all they've ever wanted to do. Yeah. But they've spent the 50 years before that saying it's rubbish. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, but do you think, do you not think there's a sort of new wave? Like kami is part of the, Is you know, Cami Wilson is one of the people. And Instagram, I've just recently joined instagram and there's so many cool farming people on it (laughs) and you know young enthusiastic it's like i mean wow
0: the the other one i think that's outstanding is there's there's dozens of them but i think tom pemberton is an an amazing person i have watched a
1: few things of tom yeah
0: yeah i think he should be maybe we should i should keep him for stock talk rather than for the pasture pod but he's um He's a great guy, and and they they tell. I think the important bit is the they don't sugarcoat it. It's works and all. You know, here's is, here's is the good stuff, and there's more good stuff than bad. But here's the bad stuff as well. Um, but I think I think these guys are they're so important because if they weren't there, the establishment, you know, the the average farmer isn't. I don't think any of us are really doing our bit to really fly the flag for this as a as a genuine career. And I know a lot of people both on the professional side, but also on the farming side who are actually making pretty good money, good livings, nice way of life in or around farming.
1: Are they killing themselves doing it or not?
0: I think some of them are. Yeah. You know, certainly that's – yeah, actually the time and your recent podcast – Series on time, I think, was so. I did feel like what listening to that, I was. You were talking directly to me about all of my flaws. Well, it was. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. That's um, it's good. At least did because it did. It did alter my kind of business performance for about a week. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> great. What but, are your flaws? Oh, I shouldn't be asking.
0: That. No, that's. I, I do not have enough time <laughs> to tell you the good bits. I don't believe um,
1: that actually.
0: The, the thing about the about time, you know, are they killing themselves doing it? There's a major risk, no matter what part of the industry we're in, that that's the kind of default setting is yeah. work until you're done, and and yeah. it's a very fine balance because the the guy who doesn't work hard is very unlikely to make it. Yeah, you know, the hard work does pay. But how do we how do we strike that balance? And I think for you and I as well, that balance. And I know a lot of people listen to this will be the same with additional sources of income, other businesses, diversifications. Cami Wilson, for example, you know you've got your farming, you've got the sheep game stuff, you've got so many plates in the air. That work work life balance, as I kind of talk about, is a is a challenge to keep. Yes. For me, my. My salaried employment is my main priority, so that's the one everything else has to rotate round about. Yes. But how how we balance that family life, social life, and an additional business into that, you wouldn't need to be the biggest farmer in the world to knock your pan in and kill yourself at work at the moment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but then as long as your relationships, like family relationships, are good – It's, I I just, you know, you're dead right. You've got to just, you're dead right about, you have to work hard to make things good. But there is a line, there's a line where you, and, and it has, it's okay to work r- ridiculously hard for a wee while, but if it's constant, then your relationships that build your life, that support you, that are foundations of your life, start to sort of weaken a wee bit. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's also
0: important. My father was actually a GP. Um, so he was a doctor who came to do a home visit. He was. Associated with his brother's business at home, and then working as a GP, came to see a patient with a sore back. The patient with the sore back was about to leave the industry, and Dad to see he bought a farm off a patient makes it sound as if it was a bit dodgy, um, but he did it through all the appropriate legal means, no conflict of interest. Bought a farm in nineteen ninety-two.
1: I thought you were going to say it was about a week
0: back. I know, <laughs> no, that was that's. I'll leave the jokes to you from that so what he then did was put his head down to there's three of us he paid for a farm he paid for a I suppose he bought a house really and and ground he put his head down when I went to school and he lifted his head when I graduated basically and really? there's, a, there's a picture I've got or a picture mum's got in our filing cabinet of things that mums keep and it's of our we were to draw a picture of, on primary one I had to draw a picture of my family and I drew a picture of mum my brother, my sister, me, the dog, some pet lambs and various things we had. And the teacher had asked the question, where's your dad? And I had said, he's at work. Really? <laughs> no. and oh, that oh. was just the assumption. And it, that has kind of stuck in my mind as well as a thing that, I mean, dad actually did a great job and we were we, we did know our father, but there's a lot of people who dad's constantly working. Yeah, And our, our dad worked very, very hard. Yeah. Um, how do how do we how do da modern dads who probably are expected to do a wee bit more how do we, or, and also expected is the wrong word want to do
1: exactly it's the, I was going to say it's priority isn't it? it I think you're more likely to prioritise. Well, you're you will have different priorities to your father. I will have different priorities to my father. Things do change, and priorities be, sort of get clearer or weaker or whatever. It's point of balance.
0: I think, though, on the about time series, I think you're the first person that's really properly. I mean, time's a huge subject. You have probably pr- fully scratched the surface of it with the issues of time and the priorities and the. And I think it's one that. Regardless of what, even what industry you're in, I think everyone should listen to that. It's six episodes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it really is. There's some great folk on it, and everybody will take something away from listening to that. You know, there's there's something in it for everybody, whether it's changing your system, changing your lifestyle, whatever it is. And the main thing is keeping yourself right. You know, there's. It, yeah, this is getting very deep and meaningful, I suppose. So, I love uh, it, I
1: love it. But, um... Cows,
0: what we need to talk about. <laughs> Your system has evolved, I suppose. And all systems evolve. With too many sheep. Now you've got less sheep, and now you've got different ruminants on farm. What was the drivers for that? What Was it a problem or an opportunity, if you like? Was it a, too many sheep? Was it a problem, or was the cow thing an opportunity for uh, it
1: wasn't it wasn't a negative it wasn't a negative driver the sheep i mean i always wanted cows to be honest Robert i just I just you know first of all i still don't have a tractor so a <laughs> uh, you know cuz i was always told um uh, flesh not metal you know Uh, Uh you know as a as a new entrant it's your capital allocation is an absolute driver of how well you do so i didn't want to spend it on depreciating rust i wanted to you know have animals but that then you know having cattle without a tractor is a real challenge and also it's the amount of money to get in you know it just seems such a It just, it always seemed too difficult. So I, um, yeah, so I suppose the, uh, I I have formed a really good friendship with my neighbour, who is from, who has, who built and sold a tremendous business in the oil and gas field and bought an estate and he, I mean, we make a great partnership because Darren has money and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a Manitou and I don't. But what I do, I suppose, have... I tell Darren this, but I secretly I'm, I'm an imposter, but I suppose I understand a little bit more about farming than Darren does, although he is learning very quickly and will be... So... He wanted cows as well. In fact, I think our Dargy estate is one of the first um, names in the herd book of the Aberdeen Angus. I'm not Thank sure. You. I may be wrong in that, but uh, they, there's a big tradition on his estate for uh, cattle. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, we bought a few, I think we bought, was it 20? Yeah, we just bought 25 bulling heifers or something from Charlie and Andrea Walker. Barnside, and mm-hmm. uh, we've got no sheds. Uh, we have do have uh, a lot of green hill. So, mm-hmm. so um, and of course with the you know grazing management, and you know if you see too big a field, you get tight chested and want to you know you want to subdivide it with something electric. you uh, I just felt that, you know, the superpower of a suckler cow is converting relatively poor forage into protein, uh, one way or another. And uh, the pro- if you've got the right genetics, they can do well in that. So we thought the genetics were right from Charlie and Andrea. And yeah, it's we've just sort of grown it up bit by bit. Started in 2020. And uh, yeah, basically, yeah. I suppose I've paid Darren off through sales of cattle. Um, and we've gone again with this new land, so that's we'll, we'll do that again, and uh, I will pay him off through sales of cattle. And it's very cash hungry, but in the end, my. Absolute objective is to reach 65 and have something to sell so that we don't live on the side of a motorway in a cardboard box after when we retire. So basically, um, building capital through suckler cows is a lot more, I suppose, a lot less risk than building capital through sheep, I would say. Uh, I think uh, you can sell cows more readily i feel and uh so yeah so we're it's all forage we do have to feed some silage but not a lot we went like you know it's a mild winter but we went from november to uh to the end of february without any silage fed it's just deferred grazing i mean it's the problem is when you've the problem is it's easy when you've got small numbers and you're block grazing a big hill. The, then you you don't account for the amount of time, the labour it takes to do that, which is not a lot, but it's still for per cow if you've only got 30-odd isn't much. So what you've got to do is do both and have a, a reasonable number and not spend very much in them and just do deferred grass so that's that's the plan for the new the new ground as well that's
0: that's what we're
1: going to do there It's an
0: interesting you know the deferred grazing is really interesting if done well the cost you can strip out a circular system is phenomenal yeah absolutely you, know, you wonder how there's so many and and we do have an issue that a lot of these good green hills a good lower lying hill ground is quite often getting planted in a different enterprise yeah. um but those that do have a hill like that you wonder why they also have a slatted shed you know what? what. at some stage we as consultants were steering people down that direction to intensify and to add cost and to and it's snowballed into a system that I mean, if you ask anyone about suckler cow economics, everybody tells you they don't pay. But when you pay it back, you realise they don't pay when you spend lots and lots of money on them. Absolutely. But actually, they, they carry a huge amount, of, as you say, it's a, a great store of capital. And if you can cut enough cost out of them, if, you, if your farm allows, and not every, it's important to say not every farm does allow that system, but if you can cut enough cost out of them and do a good enough job with them, then there has to be money in them. You know, there has to be, um, and they also, from a a subsidy perspective and things, they carry a small herd of cows is quite a lot of livestock units as well. So if you're, if if we're playing that game, if we're doing a a alpha stocking densities and all that type of thing, you know, the 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 old suckler cow isn't dead in the water at all. You know, I think I I personally think there's quite a, a pretty bright future for cows in. In a lot of different, you know, a variety of contexts, but certainly that that hill-wintered cow and then summer-grazed. So you, your cow, oh, you then rotate her on good grass through the summer?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In conjunction with sheep co-grazing or leader-follower? No.
1: Oh, don't say leader-follower. Are it's, you winding me up? I just... <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I just... It's a, it's a a persistent joke I try and make in the pod, pasture pod, but a I am I've gone to a clean grazing system, which is very early days. So we're we're trying to get to a clean grazing system. So cattle one year, uh, sheep the next, and we'll try and be quite. Of course, it's going to break down because my greed will. Uh, be too tempted to graze this lovely field of clover on the on the cattle block with lambs. But I've got to be very careful with where I put my lambs, is, is what I feel. And ewes are fine, I feel. So it's, fair, it's a wee bit of a bastardised clean grazing system in that ewes get a free pass, but it's lambs that I'm trying to avoid. And the other thing is, I think what you're saying about suckler cows, Robert, is, you know, it's fascinating, isn't it? You've seen it in the dairy sector where there's almost been a parting of the waves where one side is intensive, you know, the you know, can I suppose all year round indoors, high input, high output, and then you've got this pasture-based system where it's very you know, small cows, low yields, but all a lot from grass, most of it from grass. And I think that might be the way that suckler cows are going. Where you can't put, you know, limousine cross Charolais cow, or you know, even cementals on the system that we run would wouldn't do well. I don't think so. We are definitely low input, low output. But uh, you've got a type of cow that can, you know, that can th- actually thrive in what we give them. Whereas you put a, a continental into that uh, regime and it would definitely not thrive. It would go the other way. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think if you're chasing, you know, you only sell a calf once and, you know, if you your know, weight pays and all that, all those sort of sayings which have wisdom, I'm not saying they don't, but that also leads you down a dark could lead you down a dark Avenue in terms of circle cows because uh, as you're chasing weight as you're chasing you know turnover per calf um you're you're having to spend more and more you know trying to get that so uh, again there's balance isn't it but that's my
0: philosophy we took a, a fast connect a discussion group down to see Andrew Martin two weeks ago so Andrew's, Andrew's at Clonhee down yeah, at Thornhill yeah Hill. yeah
1: no no Andrew
0: and uh, Andrew's a first generation farmer as well and always corrects you if, you call, if you call him a new entrant because he, he reckons he's been at it for too long to be a new entrant <laughs> yes, now first generation farmer same frustrations as, as, as most but has built a phenomenal business and a really again an interesting cow system where these cows get nothing so they get they now and and this is a dangerous the journey he's been on you have to you have to start with things in the system and cut them out rather than start with nothing but as an industry we've we've now you know the the intensification of everything we're pre-calving bolusing we're vaccinating for a all sorts of different diseases but you know particularly scours and sheds and things and and much needed on those intensive systems, but when you push cows out further and actually probably work them a bit harder, but more naturally, it's amazing what you don't need. You know, he's even now looking at the the two or three high mag buckets they get in a year and wondering if they're they're a requirement or whether they're a a, a bonus. And you know, it's amazing how and so with the result, his suckler cow enterprise in conjunction with all these other enterprises on the farm. And they rely on the other enterprises as well, but you sucker cows are the best paying group on the farm. Is that right? I can totally believe that. Yeah. Um, but there's no, they are the most natural group as well. You know, there's nothing going into these ladies at all. They'll get a bale of silage in the snow or whatever. You know, they'll it'll treat them well. But there's a, it's interesting to see where that where that jobs going, and the jobs actually going there pretty fast what so genetics. So you you went to Barnside to get genetics. Yes. Do you think there's enough of that type of genetics out there or do you think there's a <laughs> are there enough people focusing on that type of system to feed the demand that's likely to be coming for that?
1: It's a that's really good question because, because you've got your females, then you have to have you know, when a daddy cow and a mummy cow, you need both, don't you? <laughs> and when it comes to daddy cows, <laughs> Uh, I am I am slightly nervous about sourcing genetics because we, uh like Andrew Elliot Blackhawk, we have a bull from, uh, Jamie Leslie at we had two, we got two bulls from, uh, Shetland, at Jamie Leslie's, but there's not a lot, of, and uh, David Ishmael at Fordal just along the road there, he does something, um. We feel is is good, but uh, the, the grazing grass based genetics in terms of and I've, I I, ha- I like my cattle to be black and my sheep to be white, Robert. So, <laughs> uh, I you know to have and and the Angus breed is also like so many different you know different types within the Angus breed and we're you know, I think the temptation again it's it's not greed, it's just ambition to get growth rate good. you you then get bigger and bigger females and that's not what we need. So we're using an AI sire that is the bottom one percent for mature cow weight <laughs> uh, and I know other people in my situation are, are having similar systems that are going to you know, native Anguses, which I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of, but um, I worry so much that I'm tempted to have a, a few heifers of our own just to make sure that we've got something that we that is right for us, but that would end in tears.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, be the, you'll be producing the dearest bull in the country. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> you. But... You
1: know, but, but but and then I meet pre- breeders that are saying, "Oh yeah, we're aiming for your type of market," and their mature cow weights. I like mm-hmm. Angus because they've got such good figures, eh? You know, you know, quite reliable figures.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for the things you can't see, and uh, yeah, I, I they say that they're breeding for our type of market, and I'm saying no, I don't actually
0: want you to do what you're doing. <laughs> I want, I
1: want something different, so.
0: I wonder, I like to buy a bull, mostly because I'm quite tight, um, but I quite like to buy a bull young. I would rather probably buy a weaned calf or buy something All right. before, and, you know, are we using figures to their full extent? We'll have a good look at them. They're, not, they're certainly not the, the sole selection criteria, but I think there's an awful lot for, and we are not nearly as extensive, we are outwintering on kale and we're... You know, the cows are they're outside an awful lot longer than they're inside anyway, but they're not roughed on deferred grass like that because I don't have that block of deferred ground or that that yes. block of green hill available. Um but I think there's a bit in the in the bull certainly he's there to get cows and calves and he's as he's first, you know, first yes. and foremost and he's there to breed daughters. You know, getting that bull home before he's been stuffed full of feeding. I think yeah. there's, there's, we've said it for decades, you know, we've known that for decades that we're wasting good bulls feeding them. But as an industry, we keep buying the ones that are. Yeah. Absolutely. And they're hard to, you go to sterling bull sales or other bull sales are available, uh, you go and see them and you. they're absolutely outstanding. These well-fleshed, big, powerful beasts, it's hard to go buy them. But actually for yeah. the system you're trying to run, the possibly the worst piece you could put on the place.
1: I'd never, I'd never go. I mean, I totally like good stockmen that bring out the, you know, just tremendous looking stock. I've just got so much admiration for it. But it's not what I want. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. what I want. And uh, or, or I get in trouble, up, up in that hill. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I think figures look. I, I figures are only part of it. I can't stress that enough. But You know when you, I can't help but look at them. You know there was, there's a wee bit on Twitter the other day about you know ignore the figures, stay away from figures because you know that, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, but I, I'm fascinated by them and I'm really interested in, calving ease and mature cow weight and other things as well. Is really, it's just interesting, isn't it? It's just part of it.
0: But And the power of those figures, you know, it's so clear. You look at dairy, you look at pigs and poultry, you look at fish, you look at every industry that's made massive progress in, granted it's in output, but everybody who's made huge progress has done it based on figures. Yeah. You know, yeah. the the to, to say that the dairy industry is built entirely on figures is wrong because there's very good there's a need for stocksmanship and there's some outstanding stocksmen out there. Yeah. But the the the, dri- the biggest driver for change in the I mean in the time I've been working with SEC from two thousand and ten then a ten thousand litre average was a pretty exceptional figure to have for it. You know, there was a handful of guys who were flirting with a ten thousand litre average for, for hosting cows.
1: Yeah.
0: Everyone's doing it. Yeah. You know, on, on <laughs> that on that moderately intensive you know, this this guy's grazing cows you know, through the day, get kind of you know, the yeah, yeah. cows going to grass and they're dusting ten thousand litre averages comfortably. Nice. And getting them back in calf and their feet are better. So I do I focus entirely on them, no I don't. But I do I think for us as an industry to ignore figures It's terrifying. You know, it's yeah. it, it, they're I, I, there and, and they're there to be used whatever way we choose to use them. It's not we're not saying we've got to use them, we've got to make every decision based on them. But you've got to have a look, surely.
1: Yeah. And just just, I mean, just pull back the curtain and have a wee look, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, isn't it interesting, I mean, I did, I was speaking to Trevor Cook and I said, oh, I'd really like a Hereford herd. And he actually swore at me. I said, <laughs> what the hell are you doing wanting Herefords when you've got the Angus breed that has got so much data behind it? Like, I, I'm, this is an advert for Angus cattle, isn't it? But, But you know, you'll get other breeds like it, but it's just so much data that's far that's really reliable. So, uh, and that's that. You know, I used to breed Wiltshire horns, Robert. Mm-hmm. And I used to performance record, and I once sold uh, a ram for a reasonable amount of money that I advertised as the top ten percent. And then we did another data run because there's so few of them. Someone started feeding their tups and he went from the top 10% to the bottom 25, 25% between me selling them. So, you know, if, if it's just a small data set, you've got to be careful, I think. But, but mm-hmm. you know, when there's huge amounts of animals recorded... You're gonna get something close to the truth,
0: but yeah, I think when you're when you're digging up the Angus as much, it's probably the right time for me to declare my interest in the Shorthorn breed. All right, okay.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, well, don't trust the
0: figures them. Well, <laughs> I trust them more than I trust the Anguses anyway. <laughs> no, it, you know it's it's interesting to see actually how all of this is evolving, and actually, and and you're right. The Angus had the biggest there's a huge population of pure cows they've they've gone into it. um you know that the figures are becoming increasingly reliable and that's one that probably the, the most important bit when we're looking at any figures isn't the figure itself it's the reliability of the figure which is also available um but I think all, all these you know this kind of Renaissance this and it's not new you know the last probably 20 years has been pretty good for natives but I expect with us talking like this, you know, the you and I talking like this today, and many others doing the same. I expect that story to continue, but I just, I, I do wonder, and it's it's certainly more more apparent in in the sheep in in the sheep world where there's a an inner circle breeding for what they like the look of, and a massive outer circle of people who are trying to make money out of it, and and the the, the risk the are we all pulling in the right direction to make sure that what we've got is what we hope?
1: Yeah. And I suppose, but then you touched on it as well, is it's what road you go down is probably the more important, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, if if you trust the person that is got a system and all the animals that thrive in that system are kind of, you know, that system is similar to your system and then, you know, you Know that is probably even more powerful than
0: figures, so but yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yep, so I'm um, one, I'm curious to know. So, you're quite clear that 65 is when we're you know, normal retirement age is when you <laughs> your farming journey might come to an end. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I'm a tenant, you see, Robert, so and um. I mean, it's not guaranteed that I get to 65 when I'm here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, But I think uh, there's a possibility of us extending the lease to, because we're modern, you know, it's limited duration tenancy here, not a, you know, secure tenancy. So, yeah, so it's, you know, we're hopeful that we might get to 65, but I think that's a healthy time to stop, although I don't know what I'd do with myself. (laughs) But, you know, um, but, yeah, I think my poor wife has had to put up with um, this farming dream of mine, uh, and we've barely been on holiday, and uh, (laughs) I I, I do, or she's actually, Kate's um, half Fijian, half-Australian, uh, she's lived in Hong Kong for a big part of her life. And, you know, coming to Kulchukhar Farm, just outside for any near Perth in Scotland is, you know, slightly different. So I do definitely feel like we need to travel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's an interesting, you know, it's the do you stop building. And I suppose if when you stop building is when the thing starts falling apart as well and you need to yes, take on that extra ground and put you need to f- have the target of retirement in your head but firm as if you're not going to retire is that reasonable
1: yeah and but i mean there's so much you know because i started with such a low skill base you know there's a long way to get i want my last year year you know when i'm 65 my last season to be
0: perfect and <laughs> that's, that's what i'm aiming for I don't want to burst your bubble here, but I think bringing you down gently—it's not going to be. Ah, oh, come on! <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: uh, so there's lots. Yeah, there's there's lots to do. There's huge amounts to do, and you know, I've been trying to breed wool shedding sheep for twenty years, and uh, still have to get the shearers in. So, you know, uh, yeah, it will be. I think we'll get there. We'll we'll be much in a much better position in eleven years' time than than we are now. I think I can it, and you feel like there's been progress. But I'm excited what the next few years are going to bring.
0: Yeah. It, so I, to, I'm c- kind of heading towards winding up because we could have this conversation for the next four or five hours, but we'll try yes. and keep it, it. The two, <laughs> the two things. <laughs> why not? The two things I like to ask are what do you think the industry looks like when you retire? So what that, when you're Ooh. 65, what do you think our current kind of livestock systems look like? And, and that's a big, bold question, but you can have a think. And the other question is, what do you say to the next Michael Blanche, the next guy coming in, the next first generation farmer taking your place on what's, What's the advice to that to that new guy kicking in at that at that time? Two bold questions, two Ooh, broad really big questions. Oh.
1: questions Robert.
0: <laughs> so,
1: what's going to look like when I retire?
0: We won't hold you to this.
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Any predict, prediction is going to be wrong, isn't it? But you look at the pressures. Uh, it's a, Probably reduce subsidy, although we've been saying that for decades and it hasn't <laughs> really happened, but probably reduce subsidy. Um, I think we'll probably have less farmers, unfortunately. I think we'll have more ranching uh, because it's a lot of work to get, you know, and if, you know, to... <sighs> Subsidies provided a means to have systems that produce a high quality product. I would suggest, in some respects, but you need the subsidy subsidy to support that. So it's going to be if that halves, see that is going to be significant, and and then you've got the carbon uh, pressures uh, in terms of mitigation, etc. So I think we're going to have a lot. More I think we're going to actually have a lot more biodiversity on farms. And I think it's going to be actually a really good thing. I go to some farms and they're like green deserts. And that's not to, I mean, that that's just because people are, are passionate about producing food and, you know, having been farming really well and tidily and, uh, you know, having great, you know, just, being proud of what they have but I think that pride is going to kind of shift a wee bit and the more biodiversity you have on farm is going to be a good thing and actually I think you're going to get paid for that and uh, I think we're going to have taller grass unfortunately (laughs) I think the regenerative tall grass grazing thing is going to have a place definitely for um,
0: cattle and for sheep.
1: No, God Almighty! Please yeah. don't say sheep. But, no, <laughs> but I think I think I think we're going to be more, um, more diverse in our usage of different grazing management practices.
0: Uh, I think on, on that one, on the the regen I'm I'm hugely interested in organics, and regen, mostly so that we can cherry pick the stuff we like and build into our own systems and and that is often criticised from the the extremists if you like, the people who are really super keen on it that actually cherry picking it's missing the point. Yes. But if we can make you know Scottish Government's target I think is twenty percent of Scotland to be organic by twenty thirty. I might be wrong, but it's somewhat it's a bold a bold figure like that. Assuming it is twenty percent, imagine we made all of the all of our farmers twenty percent more organic than they are. The end result's the same. Yeah. And actually, it's much more achievable. Oh, it
1: would be so easy.
0: Yep. And <laughs> and actually, last year we did it when fertilizer went through the roof. Yeah. We all we all cruised into the organic world a wee bit. Yeah. Many of us went in there and thought, "Oh, this is quite hard," and came back out it. But do you know what? It's it, it is about. Um, finding and all this stuff there's a lot of good there's not a lot of science yet there's a heap of science at the back of you know soils and soil health and things but the actual yeah. coal face stuff we're all learning and i think that's we need to have a mindset where we're prepared to embrace change but also challenge change as well challenge some of this think, yeah. new stuff some of it's rubbish
1: yeah know, critical thinking it's you know you've got to have be have critical thinking involved, don't you? It's not, it's not a religion uh, yeah. for me. But I think there's there's a lot in it that's really good. Uh, and I, am I going to, say to pick. I don't care what they think.
0: Yeah, I want to correct <laughs> the thing about some of it's rubbish, and I want to say, for me, on my farm at home, some of it is rubbish. Some of it won't work.
1: Yeah. Well, I, but. I that's but as as someone who uh, advises robert do you not get really tight-chested about some of the things that are suggested i've tried you know i've i've made compost teas and all that sort of stuff okay. and put it on and you know i've been well up for it but uh, you know to advise someone to make compost teas scares me uh, yeah. because i mean it all dies as soon as you put it out <laughs> Out the yeah. nozzle, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it's it's really difficult, and it's there's a lot of room for error. I'm not saying that it doesn't sometimes work, but it's you've got to be so careful, you really appreciate how people in factories make stuff. You know, making stuff on farm is actually quite difficult, and you know, uh, mm-hmm. being sh- with you know, being sure that it's going to work.
0: I'm pleased you said that actually, because it, it's a wee bit of a political hand grenade, this stuff, but. Some of it is a worry, and and I have a worry as well when it comes to. So I I am fully engaged in the conversation where agriculture has an issue, the carbon and climate story we are in. We farm in the climate every day. You know we we have a lot of skin in the game here, and we are involved. But I truly I don't believe we're the we're the fundamental issue here. Yeah. And with that, the regen thing, where the principles are growing soils and sequestering carbon, and, and, and that's good for me. That's good for for us. It's good. It, it makes business sense for me. It has an impact on, on mitigating climate change, you know, as it does the story to tell. But ultimately, it's not going to solve the problem. And, and, and the bit I'm probably most concerned about in the terms of regen ag is we're convincing ourselves that this is all we need to do as a, as a species. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, change yeah. the way we farm the rest of it will sort itself. Well, yeah. There's a lot of other stuff that needs to happen at the same time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I de- the, 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 on the other side of that coin, though, Robert, is what scares me is that we're not scared enough. Mm, maybe. that we, yep. we're not going to change. We're not, there's no urgency for farmers to change what we do. And that then ironically makes us more um in a greater danger uh, i think i think we've got to pull out all the stops to actually um cover our backs and try and mitigate everything that we're doing at least partially at least significantly even
0: that's certainly a whole that that's a, a topic well, for absolutely a, a absolutely. conference not a yeah. <laughs> Not a brief web, a brief uh, hmm. podcast. So, let's go to you, like the next you, the well, yeah, yeah, a successor or a would you know what? What does the next bit look like for for your your farm? You're a you're a tenant. Um, what do we say to the next guy coming in?
1: Don't change anything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's the thing, isn't it? You 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 farm with your own values, uh, your own opinions, and what's going to be hard, um, and I don't think any of our kids are going to be farming. And that sort of puts, you know, um, but I do know someone that is really keen on farming quite close to us. And then and I've thought about because he has his own opinions of what to do, and and actually that's okay. <laughs> Even though I don't agree with him, and I've kind of been burnt with similar sort of ways forward, but but he could probably make it work because he's different from me, you know. And and that's such and I suppose the principle it's such a wishy-washy answer, Robert, but the principle of um eh, I think trusting yourself, will all men doubt you, but allow for their doubting too, is a really important phrase. And a, uh, and I think if he's got his own opinions on how things should be done, he should try that, and then and then start that pinball thing, where he gets some things work, some things don't. You adjust, and then you reset, and then you go again, and and that's that's actually the beauty of farming is that especially when you're starting off from um, as a first generation farmer with the freedom to do it but lots of other constraints it, the beauty is I'm not, I don't want to say the J word the journey word but the beauty is you know it's all about the climb as Miley Cyrus said
0: what a <laughs> tremendous so we went from Kipling to Miley Cyrus. And that, that was Equally, the, yep. equal,
1: equal in their genius. Yes, different. different.
0: <laughs> it's all about diversity, I like think that's the key. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I totally, uh, yeah, it's a, a hugely interesting conversation we've had. I don't know, actually, what we asked when, or when we were talking about this, recording this before we came on we were discussing what we might talk about. And I, I still don't really know what we're <laughs> talking <what> we've, <laughs> we've covered a lot of bases today. And, and certainly I think we, we we did the, we did compost tea. <laughs> did all, yeah, uh, to to that covered in, yeah. an awful lot of ground. I, certainly for me, the, the main reason I wanted to get you on here is really, I, I suppose for, from my perspective is to, to thank you for the, you know, the pasture pod story, the, I do quite a lot of long journeys and, and certainly that last one. And the one I want to hit home is the, the about time one is the best thing I've spent time listening to. Granted, I was driving at the same time, so I was achieving something else. But investing time in that was really important for me, really good for me. And, and hopefully there's lots more pasture pod material to come as well and and similar kind of deep and meaningful stuff like that not just the singing
1: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I'll try but that's that's interesting (laughs) as well isn't it is is um what you said is that it changed you for a week and I'm I can totally get that and that was my concern was I may well I may well do this and I think I'm doing some good but actually people will go back to their actual preset patterns
0: it doesn't yeah it, but it's still there I used to run the or I used to facilitate the southwest group for rural leadership oh, so yeah. the rural leadership program a tremendous program still running A, a and you know a, a great use of time but in that so facilitating it we did it annually and you weren't a participant but you were very much part of the group part of the team so you kind of went through the whole process with them and every year it changed me a wee bit more. You know, yes. it, you know, you'd leave things where a snippet of new information or something that does have a, it does help. So I think all these things, it's all building blocks. You know, it's all,
1: yeah, is listening a really to a one
0: point. hour, is listening to one hour podcast going to change your life? Uh, no, but is uh, multiple podcasts, multiple, you know, getting off farm, speaking to people, seeing different things, building all that together. I think you'd, yeah, it, it certainly does, and I think that one for me, the one what you've just finished is has been awesome.
1: So, yeah, well, that thank, was... thanks, Robert. Um, At least someone will listen to it.
0: That's good. Yeah. But no, Michael, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Thank I you very much for your time.
1: Let's. Uh, I'm going to get you on the pasture pod.
0: Oh, I, I might crash it though. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> thank you very much for your time. That's been awesome. Okay, Robert. Thank you.